Our second reading comes to us from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has been turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from your following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the county of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, today we're returning to our summer sermon series. When I plot out the summer sermon series, I do so knowing that we have special Sundays like Art and Music Camp Sunday, Mars Hill Sunday. There's Sundays when I'll be gone. We often have church in the park. People go on vacations. So I try to plan a sermon series that's loosely connected, but that if you miss one or two or we are gone for a week or two, you don't really miss out on anything. That, that they're... I don't want to say you don't miss out on anything if you're not here. That's the wrong word. You miss the best sermon ever if you're not here. But you won't be listening to the next week's sermon completely lost. It's not a serialized sermon series. 
So I pick a larger thematic overreach. And this summer we've been talking about the heroes of the Bible and how we can inherit their, hate, their faith and how we can be heroes of biblical proportion. And I planned out all these sermons uh, back in May. I planned out the ideas and then each week I look for illustrations and I think about it and I pray about it and I, I flesh out the sermon. And I often try to come up with a catchy story to, to introduce the, the, the idea of the week, the the thing that we should seek to, to embody. And this week, instead of telling you a story, I have found something on TV. And uh, it's a show that I don't watch, but does anyone here watch America's uh, Got Talent? We've got a couple hands. If you don't watch it, if you're not familiar with it, it's a, basically a talent show. There's four judges, and people come, and they perform whatever their talent might be. It might be singing, it might be ventriloquism, it might be dancing. It could be any number of things. And there was one act this week that I didn't see the show, but I saw it online and and downloaded the video. And I edited it down, so it's only about three minutes, but I wanted to share it with you. This is America's Got Talent. No one can do this. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. And look, I think just picking up on what Ken said, I don't think there's ever been a singer on any of our competitions who's been no perfect. It still doesn't make them not amazing. It makes them human. Oh! And as you've got the, <laughs> the uh, consequences on this are slightly worse than falling off key, whereas you nearly broke your neck. And the fact that you're nearly blind makes this incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much. Everything about it, the music, the suspense, the fire, just incredible! Yes, thank you. And yes, you both did take my advice. You stepped up your game higher than I could ever have expected, ever. Thank you. 
you almost got hurt very badly, and your first thought was, let me do that again. And only on America's Got Talent does that happen. So, sorry about the technical errors there with the video freezing, but you, you get the idea, and it showed the, the dramatic part where he dropped her and she plummeted 20 feet to the stage. And you know, I saw that, and my jaw just dropped, and you know, I'm wondering, is she okay? And then she pops up, and the first thing they say is, we want to try that again. And I thought, you know, if I'm walking down the stairs and trip and fall two steps, I want to avoid the stairs for a week. I, you know, much less dropping 20 feet and to pop up and, and say, I want to do that again. And, and the, the scriptures today talk about perseverance. And I thought there was no greater example of perseverance than these trapeze artists that, that drop, you know, he drops, it's his wife, drops her. And, you know, obviously it's not planned. They embrace, and he's so concerned about her. And then he's like, all right, let's, let's do this again. And you wonder how many times in practice, in training, and working on their routine was she dropped. Now, granted, they most likely had not flames, but cushions down below. Uh, but they persevered. They, they wanted to try again, and the judges wouldn't let them. Today's scripture talk about perseverance. First, we have... Or we talk about Ruth. And if you're not familiar with Ruth's story, she was married to Naomi's son. Naomi had two sons, and and Ruth and and Orpha married them. And then uh, Naomi's husband got sick and died. And then both her sons got sick and died. And it was just Ruth and Naomi and Orpha. And they had no power. They had nothing to their names during this time, women were seen as little more than property. They couldn't support themselves. They, they had no, nothing in the world without their husbands. And so Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, Go back to your family's home. Go back to your father's. There you'll be cared for. There you'll be looked over. There you'll have something. And they cry, and Orpha leaves, and Ruth says, No, I am going to stay with you. I made a promise Wherever you go, I'm going to go. In the face of the greatest of odds, she perseveres and she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And there they eventually work through and Naomi marry, or Ruth marries a distant cousin and uh, starts a family and they're supported again. But at this point in the story, it looks like there's no hope. It looks like there is nothing for them to do. It looks like Naomi is filled with bitterness. She says to call her Mara because the Lord has dealt harshly with her. Mara means bitter. But they persevere. They stick together. Our first story is the story of Gideon. And when the story opens, Gideon is hiding in a wine press because the Midianites have taken over their country. And the people are talking, where is God? Where is the God that delivered our ancestors out of Egypt? Where is the God who's done all these wonderful things? And then an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, you will defeat the Midianites. He said, but I've got no army. I've got nothing. Even among my family, I'm the weakest. I'm the smallest. I'm the most lowly. He faces insurmountable odds. 
He continues to test the Lord. The Lord provides. And finally, he buys into it. And he gathers together an army of 22,000 people. And God says to him, that's too many. Take them down to the river and have them drink from the river. He said, those that lean down and lap of the water like a puppy or a dog might do, put them on one side of the river. Those that cup their hands and drink from their hands, put them on the other side. Now, if you're like me, you'd probably cup your hands. Uh, That's what most of the army did. All but 300 cupped their hands, and God said, those, send them home. These 300 men, that's your army. Insurmountable odds. Time and again, Gideon thought, there is no way this can happen. But God was working through him and with him. And they were able to defeat the Midianites and reclaim their homeland. Both Gideon, both Ruth and Naomi persevered. And time again in scriptures, we see people persevere in God's name. We see Moses tasked with telling Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh stubbornly refusing, but Moses perseveres. He escapes. They go into the wilderness for 40 years. The people try to revolt against him. They speak against him. They try to worship a foreign god, a golden calf. And Moses perseveres and delivers them to the edge of the Holy Land. Paul was imprisoned time and again. He was beaten. He was punished. But still, he persevered. Still, he continued on in the face of insurmountable odds and started church after church and wrote most of what we call the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is letters to churches that Paul founded, guiding them as they continue their journey in Christ. And that's what we're on. We're on a journey in Christ. Christ says to us, follow me. Christ says, come with me. You are the body of Christ. You are the workers of Christ. You are to do what Christ did. But Christ never says that it will be easy. When God calls us to this Christian life, God doesn't promise that we'll be rich, that we'll be comfortable, that we'll have everything we need. In fact, often following Christ along the way, there is tragedy. There is hardship. There is heartbreak. There are obstacles. But we as Christians are called to persevere. We need to look to the original disciples who were arrested, who were beaten, who were punished, who were executed for their faith. But the church persevered. And why shouldn't it? We worship a Savior who came and worked His ministry throughout the land. And His teachings and His preachings, His healings rubbed the wrong people the wrong way and He was put to death for it. But not even the obstacle of death could keep Jesus Christ in the grave. He persevered. He rose again to continue sharing God's love and grace and mercy 
with the world. We are called to persevere. We are called to continue on. When we face heartache, when we face tragedy, when we face obstacles and hardships, when we're filled with grief, when we face unsurmountable odds, when we think we can't go on, we are called to persevere. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything we're going to do is going to succeed. It doesn't mean that they won't be failure after failure. But we're called to continue on. Now the question might be, what are we called to continue on to? What are we called to continue doing? What are we called to persevere in? And I think in all of Jesus' teachings and lessons, he keeps speaking about the kingdom of God. He speaks about the kingdom of God in two fronts. The kingdom of God that is to come in heaven, but the kingdom of God that is to be here on earth. And that is the kingdom that he tasks us with building. That is what he calls to do, to come together as the body of Christ and to begin to make it on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that every week for a reason. We are called to persevere in building the kingdom of God. And yes, we will stumble. Yes, we will fall. Yes, we will fail from time to time. Yes, we will be hurt. But we should continue on. We worship a God who perseveres. We worship a God who created humanity in God's image. Who called humanity to be God's holy people. But humanity turned away. So God sent angels to Abraham. God called to Moses to lead them back to God. And people did for a while. But then they turned away. So God sent the prophets to talk to the people. And the people turned away. So God sent Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, to show us what God's love and grace looks like in human flesh. God's love perseveres. When we threw up obstacles, when we threw up roadblocks, God did not quit on us. So when God calls us to a task, we should not quit on God. And when there are tragedies, when there are obstacles, we should know that God continues with us. We should persevere, we should continue on no matter what the odds A few months ago, the royal wedding was all the buzz. Everyone, not everyone, I didn't watch it, but a lot of people watched it. People dissected everything from who was invited to what people were wearing. And it really kind of put some of the the cathedrals and and buildings in England on, on display. Do you know when Westminster Abbey was completed? It was completed in 1754. Now, who wants to guess when they started building it? Uh, Anyone want a guess? 15-something, 14-something? 1254. 500 years exactly it took to build 
Westminster Abbey. Approximately 15 generations of people went into building that building. Imagine starting some, building something today that won't be completed for 500 years into 2,518. That doesn't sound like a real year. Of course, sometimes 2018 doesn't sound like a real year. But imagine building something that you will never see completed, that you will never come see come to fruition. Imagine something your children won't see come to fruition, or their children, or their children, or their children. But you have faith that one day it will be completed. One day the work will be done. Friends, that is the kingdom of heaven. We may not see it be completed in our lifetime. We might not see it come to fruition. But we are still called to persevere and do the work of building it. And as we build it, we hope and pray that our children might see it completed, if not their children or their children or their children. Maybe Hannah's great-great-great-grandchildren. It's hard to imagine. We don't know when it will be done, but we do know that it will be done because we worship a God who makes and keeps promises. And God has promised that one day the kingdom on earth will be as in heaven. And God calls us to build that kingdom. I've shared with you before the old Jewish proverb uh, that you are not free You may not see the work completed, but you are not free to abandon it. Friends, we are called to build the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And that looks different ways for different people, but we are all tasked with building it in our own lives, in our own communities. And it won't always be easy. And we might not ever see it done. But just like Gideon just like Ruth and Naomi, just like Moses, just like Peter, just like Paul, just like Christ himself, we will persevere. Amen.